0: And welcome to the first episode of a new podcast called In Our 1990s. And uh, my name is Natalie, and this is my co host, Adrian. And we are going to be undertaking the uh, project of ranking every alternative album from the 1990s. Now, what you might ask yourself is an alternative album? Well, it's not just Pearl Jam and Nirvana and it's not just uh i don't know hadrian name an album from the late 90s
1: uh uh, now you put me on the spot i can't think of one Uh,
0: so you know (laughs) an album from the late 90s that might have been considered alternative it's not just going to be those we're going to cover everything from uh grunge rock to indie rock to electronica uh you know hopefully we'll find some hip-hop that fits um is that one
1: Jim Blo- Jim Blossoms album? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, we're on the fence about that one. Um, <laughs> so anyway, the, the idea is we're going to take all these albums that—that's you know a fairly arbitrary selection, but hopefully representative of the decade—and uh, put them all in order by the the highly subjective metrics that we come up with. And so, just before we get started with our first two records for this episode, we're gonna talked a little bit about our biases and our musical background, so you can kind of understand where this uh, completely subjective metric is going to come from. So I'm going to let Hadrian start off on that.
1: All right, so I guess a good place to start for me is to know that my favorite band is Roxy Music. Uh, That's going to color virtually everything I think about music, and it has since I realized that my favorite band wasn't Placebo, it was Roxy Music which is hilarious because both of these thoughts formed at the same time when I saw the the movie Velvet Goldmine, in which the entire score is repurposed Roxy Music songs and Placebo sings one of them. Uh, but mostly I know more about late 90s alternative music, some American, mostly British, and a lot of Britpop, just a lot of Britpop.
0: Yeah, and you listen to sort of... A lot of glam rock, too.
1: Yeah, that's what, that's what the Roxy music is there. Like, Yeah,
0: but in general, even beyond Roxy music.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. There's Bowie, uh, T-Rex, Cockney Rebel, that kind of stuff.
0: Which is funny since you're ten years younger than me.
1: Yeah, I'm just old at heart.
0: <laughs> and, okay, so anything else that you'd want to add on that?
1: Uh, I super don't like Fiona Apple.
0: <laughs> that's relevant This at the time of this recording. If you're listening to this when it comes out, that'll make sense.
1: That's not a perfect record in my mind.
0: <laughs> I haven't listened to it yet. I,
1: I mean, don't. if you like her adding like a dolphin to the first track, come on down to the Fiona Apple store.
0: My uh, my Fiona Apple story is that I saw her, um, I went. I, I sat through a Counting Crows concert to hear Fiona Apple open for them.
1: That is a fucking hellscape for me.
0: It was. I do not like Counting Crows, but no one should. <laughs> I liked Fiona Apple's first album a whole lot, so I went to. I went and endured Counting Crows with with some friends who were way into Counting Crows.
1: Well, uh-huh. we're gonna have to be way into Counting Crows at some point on this list. Maybe. You can't just now. Come on now.
0: And now uh, the first album. I know. Anyway, so <laughs> that should lead into my my story of my musical background, um, which. So I got into sort of off the beaten track music at a very young age, um, and that was partially because I had a, I have a much older sister who was into this stuff, and she went away to to go to school out at, like in a different a different city, very far away from where I, I live, the small town that we grew up in. And she came back and she had a tape that had Depeche Mode and New Order and The Smiths and the first Morrissey solo album on it. And even before that, I had heard the Pet Shop Boys and really liked them. And so then when I, I really, the moment, so the first moment that I got way into music was hearing uh, the song Weston Girls by the Pet Shop Boys. And I think I was like seven or eight years old at that point. And then my sister came back from, from school, and she had this tape with New Order on it, and she was like blasting the song True Faith out of her bedroom. And I just like went running into her bedroom, like, what is that? I need it. <laughs> um, so yeah, Pet Shop Boys and New Order were like the first two bands I got way into. And then when I liked the same music that she did, she started introducing me to other stuff. And one of those uh, bands is one we're going to be talking about tonight, R.E.M., uh, I was the only kid in my fifth grade class who had an R.E.M. t-shirt. <laughs> nice. Um, I kind of wish I still had that. It was a like hot pink t-shirt with a, like, bright yellow line drawing of a bicycle on it. Huh. Um It was very R.E.M. because it was not, like, for an album or anything. It just had a yellow bicycle on a hot pink shirt and said R.E.M. Um, so, yeah, so from there, I was just the right age. So I was 13, I think, when Nevermind came out. And so that was the perfect age to be like, I heard Nevermind and I'm going to start a band. Um, And so I liked... So before Nirvana, I had never really considered myself being into rock music at all. Um, I kind of hated most of it, actually. Um, And I was way more into synthy, new wave stuff. And um, Nirvana kind of bridged those gaps. Like, they were melodic enough and hooky enough that it was... I could latch onto it, and so when all my all my friends at that time were sort of like, "Yeah, dude, I'm," you know, "let's let's mosh," and I was just kind of like, "Yeah, I'd I like the choruses <laughs> these <songs. laughs> um, So anyway, from there I discovered Shoe Days, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> um, shoe Days is very much my favorite. Well, Shoe Days and Dream Pop are like very much my favorite genres of music. Um, so that's like my big bias. And, and then and then, after those two like J-pop is probably my third so
1: that's fair. and like when going back to mine uh I didn't I didn't make reference to this, but like I grew up with my parents music because we moved around all the time. so I was listening to a lot of goth, a lot of punk uh, that's how I got Roxy music, that's how I got Duran Duran. that's how I got the Bahaus and the Sisters of Mercy like that's my frame of reference is why I, I feel I have such older tastes than you. Yeah, it's well, just because so, like, I, just, I had
0: an older sister who introduced me to stuff. Your mom was the one introducing you to, like, The Cure in Bauhaus and Bauhaus.
1: Yeah, and my mom is just slightly older than your sister.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> Again, the 10-year the age difference between yeah. us. So. All right, so hopefully that gives you some idea on where we're coming from with our musical tastes. And so as far as our ranking process, I think the, what we discussed was kind of... You know, we want to. This isn't just going to be our favorite records. We're we're going to try to sort of say, you know, this album is more important, or this album, like I may not like it as much, but this album is better than than another, you know, whatever album that is. Um, the example I gave earlier when we were discussing, you know, how we're going to handle this was, you know, Nevermind is is a great album and it's an extremely important album. And there are a lot of albums that I like better than it that are less important and and less great, but they just appeal to my personal taste more. So we have to try to balance those two things out and come up with something that is like not just you know objectivity is impossible, but also it's it's possible I think it's possible to not be completely subjective also.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, we have to we have to own up to the fact that. People like Nirvana for a reason. And that album was incredibly popular for a reason. And we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, honestly. Because it's... Right now, we, we we are not dealing with anything of that quality.
0: Yeah. Someday I will have to decide if I'm going to put probably my favorite album of all time, Four Calendar Cafe by the Tocto Twins, above Nevermind. It's an easy choice for me. It may prompt more discussion once we get to that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, and for me, I'm not like, super into Nirvana. I wasn't really present for grunge. I liked Courtney Love, so I'm a criminal. Not the first
0: whole, or actually second. I like whole all of Hole.
1: Just all of it. <laughs> Even though the last half of Hole's career was just, oh God, uh, Billy Corgan propping her up at a microphone. like That was, because he did that whole last album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: okay so i think we've done enough preamble here so i'm gonna take a drink and then i think we can get into our first album
1: so we're gonna do which, one which we're, uh,
0: we're gonna start off with so the two albums that we're gonna be ranking tonight are monster by rem and manscape by wire and i think we're gonna start off with monster so monster it's so a 1994 album for R.E.M. And this came out... So the previous album, again, talking about our favorites versus objective quality, my favorite R.E.M. album, Automatic for the People, was the one right before this. Yeah,
1: 1988, right? Uh, it was six no, years I between... Was,
0: I, I thought it was 90 that Automatic came out. Um You can look that up and I will talk some more so the the history behind monster is that the last two albums that rem did were out of time and automatic for the people and they were both very acoustic mostly very poppy um and just they weren't really a departure from what the band had been doing up to that point but they got more of this like folky country pop thing going um i never thought of rem as like a A rock band, like a rock and roll band, um, and they weren't
1: like they and they were openly admitted that they
0: weren't. I mean, they were always this kind of indie jingle pop. You know, I wouldn't call it twee, but it was uh, you know lots of twelve string guitars, and it it wasn't a lot of. I mean, up until Green, really, I I didn't feel like they tried to like rock out. You know, yeah, and
1: so Green was the album in nineteen eighty eight, and the reason I thought I was stuck on that time. Is because they stopped touring in ninety in in, in nineteen eighty eight. So they hadn't. So that that's that's integral to why this al- album sounds the way it does. Which we'll get to that later.
0: Yeah. Well, so, um, getting back to to how this how that the previous couple of albums affected Monster is essentially REM was one of those bands that sort of seemed to be like always on the verge of breaking up. But I guess it got really it kind of reached its you know, a a peak uh, or a breaking point after Automatic for the People. And uh, the band's drummer, and correct me if I'm wrong, I always mix up the bassist and drummer, but Bill Berry is (laughs) the drummer, uh, I believe, and Mike Mills is the bassist. Um, He said, you know, if we do another acoustic album, I'm quitting. And so they decided, okay, we're going to do, you know... We're going to do a rock album. You know, grunge rock is big right now. Alternative rock is a thing. Let's let's rock out.
1: Uh, Barry Piano is what this list is saying, but he'd been in the band. He did a little bit of everything. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: they all kind of, uh, with the exception of maybe Michael Stipe, are kind of multi-instrumentalists anyway, but I think Bill Barry is the, is the drummer's name. I should look this up because I'm sounding like it. I'm getting off on a bad foot here. Well,
1: <laughs> so, uh, and... Stipe and Barry both were like, hey, what if we do a touring album? We we do an album to tour with. And we hadn't done that. In, we hadn't toured in six years. We do a Rocky album to change our sound, do something fresh. And then that turned into touring and recording the album at the same time, which was also touring, writing, and recording the album at the same time. <laughs> which, that's, that seems like a nightmare scenario when you're trying to like, put music together.
0: I've always thought that I've, I've never understood how bands could ride on the road. So it, it, I guess I mentioned that, you know, I had started a band and, and I was in a band in high school and in a couple of local bands in high school and college. And I, I didn't tour, but we did, you know, we did do shows and played around. And the the thought of, I mean, it's, it's so like, especially when you're at, if you're not at like a real superstar level, you're doing everything yourself. And just the thought of like going out and setting up, my gear and then playing a whole set and being like exhausted and then having to drive several hours to the next show and then write songs while you're doing that has always sounded like torture to me.
1: Yeah. And that definitely uh, reflects in how disjointed this album is because there are parts of you can, you can tell that monster was, was written and recorded in stages and then they had to try to make something work <laughs> around that because there's parts where, like, there are effects happening that are very similar to a bunch of songs that were probably done in one setting, then a harsh cut with the way the songs sound move, uh, in later tracks. And it's. This album is a mess. It it doesn't have. It, it doesn't flow well. Uh, I, I like to sit. I like to. As Henry, Henry Rollins says, put a record on and just listen to that record you don't do anything you don't say anything you sit there and you listen and i do that with with music especially what we're going to be talking about and once i got to star 69 which is the fifth track on the album after that i was like what the fuck is monster <laughs> because star 16 uh, star 69 and above are a completely different album compared to strange strange Currencies season below
0: yeah, I definitely felt the back half of the album is more of a it sounds more like REM. It definitely than, does. Than the first half, maybe.
1: Like the, the first the first half is like they got a tremolo and we're like, what if we do spangly tremolo music? <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, hook that put that in my veins, make that tremolo sparkle and then and then they don't do it anymore.
0: Yeah, I would not call anything on this album sparkly. Um so um if you if you enjoy REM I highly recommend if you haven't already listened to this podcast um there's a podcast called File Underwater that goes through every um REM album and just gets deep dives on every one of them and it's it's really good so, I definitely recommend that. If you know about video game podcasts, it's the guys from the Watch Out for Fireballs podcast who do that. And they're cool guys, and it's a great podcast. Um, so, what one of the things they said about this is that uh, Michael Stipe, when talking about the album, had said, like, some people say music comes from the heart. Well, this album comes from the dick. <laughs> no,
1: this album is gross. And
0: it, I mean, so that's the... The idea behind it is we're gonna make an album from the dick, and it's gonna be all about sex, and and it's gonna be our sexy album. And this album is like this is so not sexy to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, you like you you bring someone home, you put this album on, they leave. Like that's
0: it, it's, it's
1: like you're my crush with Alan. Or, no, I'm fucking done. Good uh, good yeah, night. No, that
0: song especially is
1: so uh, tongue is worse.
0: Yes, because that is. is a
1: song about Cunnilingus. With Michael Stipe trying to sing like Prince.
0: Yeah. So okay. So let's start at the beginning and, and start with the one of the best songs on the album. It, it starts off with "What's the Frequency, Kenneth," which is also the lead single. And I was just never like it's a good song, but I was just I've never been crazy about the song. And part of why I'm not crazy about it is like. So I think lyrically, it's like easily the best song on the album. Oh, absolutely. Musically, I, I hate all the guitar tones in this song. So it's for that me... it's so, so tremolo is a, is a weird beast. Like as someone who plays guitar and has used tremolo, I kind of hate it when it's used the way it's supposed to be used. Like I, I want people to use it the way My Bloody Valentine used it, it which was just sort of a, a very subtle... Way to shift the sounds around, it, and there uh, Peter Bach is using it very like by the manual on on this album. Oh yeah, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that except that just it's just kind of a the really deep tremolo of just woah It's like I can't I can't do it. I don't. It's I've never been a fan of it, and especially not when it's paired with this incredibly mid rangey harsh guitar tone it yeah. just it's really off-putting to me
1: and see I think that's a very 90s sound that that's this album is has a very is indicative of a certain 90s aesthetic and part of that comes down to the tremolo being used the way it's being used because that very like sound is very warm and reminds me a lot of summer because a lot of su- summer jams throughout the 90s used a tremolo and the problem here is that it's like they listened to Echo Belly for five seconds and were like, yeah, we could do that.
0: See, I don't know if it was, are you sure it was Echo Belly? Because I've, I love Echo Belly and I don't remember hearing them use Tremolo.
1: They, they've they used Tremolo. Okay. But they listened to, because right after this album dropped, there were more like, like, what is that? You steal my sunshine song?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Steal my sunshine. Yeah,
1: like that has a tremolo in it, and there's it, it that sounds almost exactly the way it's being used in "What's the Frequency, Kenneth?" Because it, it's a very warm, sunny sound somehow, and that's that's why I think I, I associate it with summer, and why I think this song in particular stands out. And was I think if they even if they hadn't used it as a single, it probably would have had some last some staying power because it hits that same vibe of like you put that on a playlist with. My sunshine, you put it like you wouldn't normally do that, but if you just want that vibrancy, it happens. That being said, fuck this song <laughs> because it has been stuck in my head the last week.
0: <laughs> One thing I really so the part of the song that I respect the most and like the least is the guitar solo, um, which is recorded backwards. Oh, good, okay, so he had to compose the solo backwards. Um, or compose it in a way that it was going to fit when you played it backwards. So it's, I mean, essentially the guitar solo in the song is the Black Lodge backwards talking scenes from Twin Peaks, where the actors had to memorize their lines backwards and then they were reversed. Um, so yeah, he had so it's it's really cool that he like composed the solo, you know, to play, to be played backwards. I I highly respect that. It's a cool thing he did, and I think it sounds like shit. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's mostly the guitar tone. It's, it's just so... And it's, okay, so this is really weird, because I'm a fan of Merzbow. I'm a fan of Incapacitance, of White House. I like noise music. And I hate the way... I hate the harshness of this tone. It's, it's a harsh that I don't like.
1: I think it's because it it's some, seems somewhat amateurish. And that's that's probably going to get mm. me like, no, and in the terms of making noise and working with a, a sharp tone like that, Arium isn't known for doing that. And up to this point, they weren't doing that, really. And then, so this album comes out of nowhere, being like, I'm gonna do a thing. <laughs> and it sounds like I'm gonna do a thing, mm-hmm. even though that thing is not hitting with everyone correctly. So you listen to people who do this stuff regularly and this this entire thing is them is R.E.M. throwing stuff out there trying to make something function because if they did if they did what michael stipe had been doing for two albums p- previously everyone was going to riot and they were already rioting so i think that's what it is i think that might be it like it's just these are competent musicians doing something new and it sounds like they're doing something new
0: yeah i mean it's it's weird because for the for this band it's a really daring album to make but the type of music they're making is not daring if that makes sense like Aryum was not a like you know dick thrusting rock band at any point in their i don't want to
1: think about michael stipe dick thrusting at all
0: (laughs) well he wants you to think about it a lot as i don't crush with eyeliner gets into he he wants to tell you all about it
1: just
0: can't and so crush with eyeliner like it might be okay except that several times on this album michael stipe does impressions of other singers, Mm-hmm. and this lou reed impression he's doing on crush with eyeliner just does not work for me
1: like lou reed had a certain horny tone to his voice that fucking worked because he's lou reed
0: i mean when i think of the velvet underground i think of like passed out with a needle stuck in your arm. Yeah, but there was... I don't think of sex. <laughs>
1: but but the thing is, he, he talked about sex a lot, and it, like Lou Reed's frequently talked about uh, intimate situations, people he dated, and it just sort of dripped off of him, like, all the filth in like the rest of his music. It was a certain gritty... Like, it was a dirty glitter aesthetic that Lou Reed had, and I can see Michael Stipe wanting to have that, but he can't just whip it out whenever he wants.
0: No, I don't, yeah, I'm with you on, I don't want to think about Michael Stipe whipping it out. Well, um, this
1: album sure makes you want to.
0: <laughs> it, so, one thing I will whip out is King of Comedy. I like this song a lot, so which is funny because I think this is like considered the shittiest song R.E.M. ever did, but it sounds vaguely like... Madchester bands or like the Jesus and Mary Chain. It has, a, and so a, a, I automatically liked it better.
1: Yeah, when I first listened, to it, I was like, "Oh, Natalie loves this song. This, this yeah. is this is the Natalie song of this album." To me, it has a va- a weird like it leads with a weird goth concept, and then just turns into another summery '90s song. But for a moment, it's like any of any goth band that tried to do a upbeat number, and it's just hilarious.
0: Yeah, it's also kind of. I, I imagine that like more than Jesus and Mary Chain or like uh, Primal Scream, like probably the influence from this came from like what U two was doing around the same time because it also sounds a lot like Lemon, for example. Oh, like, there
1: is so much U two. Now that you said that, there is so much U two all over this album.
0: Yeah, and um so here's another thing about King of Comedy. See if see if this uh, see if this strikes you the way it did me. This vocal melody sounds just like the one in uh, Jawwise Hammer of the Babylon King by Momus.
1: <laughs> what? Wait, yes, yeah, because I, um... I first
0: when I put the song on, I was like, "This, this sounds so much like something. This is driving me crazy. What is this?" And then I started. Uh, you know, I just kind of let my brain drift for a minute, I was like, oh shit, it's jawwise Hair of the Babylon king. <laughs> I,
1: and I felt it had a very Momus, like, lyrical construction, too. It was just, if Momus were to write an REM song, I think this would be it.
0: <laughs> and yeah, so that's King of Comedy. And if you hear a dog barking in the background, we're doing all we can to keep our corgi from ruining the recording, but it's storming here as we're recording, and he's unhappy about the world, so... Um, anyway, getting on with the album, uh, the next three songs aren't all that noteworthy to me. Um, I Don't Sleep, I Dream is fine. It's, it's kind of boring and plodding, uh, then Star 69 and Strange Currencies.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I like Star 69. It's probably one of my favorites on the album, but it's, it's, it has a different sound than a lot of REM songs, This whole album does. But like that one, I could see myself putting on a playlist and just letting it,
0: Exist. It is extremely different from... I mean, it's just like a four-chord, almost like a pop-punk song.
1: So I think when people talk about this album, there's a lot of reference to, like, they were trying to invoke a 1970s glam rock vibe. I'm like, uh, sure, sure, I, I guess. I think I think Star 69 is the only one that comes close to that. Because it has, like, a, a deep-cut T-Rex, like... Messing around in a studio vibe to it, but like not- the lyrics
0: are definitely as bad as T Rex <laughs> <The laughs> lyrics. <laughs> Oof! The first line, first two lines of the song are what you don't have to pass the bar to see what you're doing is ignoramus 103.
1: Yeah, it's like dumb. That is
0: so. So one of the bands I played in in college, we were talking about somehow we were talking during practice about REM, and the the other guitarist in the band was like, yeah. I, I remember when you couldn't understand Michael Stipes lyrics and, and then, then when you when you could understand his lyrics you wished you couldn't.
1: <laughs> I I think that his ability to write lyrics is a very conscious effort. Like he is consciously good at it or consciously bad at it.
0: I feel like he's at his best when he's going stream of consciousness. Like Star Sixty Nine sounds like he's trying to to be clever and it is terrible.
1: Yeah. Uh, Agreed. But yeah, that song,
0: uh. Yeah. And Strange Currencies is, is, I I think a lot of people have called it, like, Everybody Hurts Part 2. And that's, like, not wrong. It's it's better than Everybody Hurts. That is, like, the worst song on Automatic for the People. (laughs) But that's not saying a whole lot. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so, what do you have to say about almost the worst song on the album, Tongue?
1: Uh... I want to find Michael Stipe and just play that song very loud at him, staring unblinkingly at him, and then go, why?
0: Uh, it's So it's like a soul music pastiche?
1: He, it's Prince. He's just trying to do Prince. Song. Well,
0: musically, I don't think it sounds anything like Prince. No, I mean, but it sounds his... a lot more like classic soul or like Motown. And then it's all sung entirely in falsetto. And boy, a little falsetto goes a long way.
1: Yep, that's another reason I liked King of Comedy because, like, Stipes w- was doing something different with his voice, which worked for that song. Something and actually a sound I would like. I wish they he would have explored more because I think it adds some depth to his to their music. This falsetto does not add depth <laughs> to the music. No,
0: in fact, it does the exact opposite. It makes the whole sound just sound like so- whole song sound just like one long wail, and it's, it's so so bad.
1: And that's, really, that's the beginning of the end. So after that, you don't have to talk about anything else in this album.
0: Uh, okay, so Bang & Blame is my favorite song on the album. Um, and that's because I think it sounds the most, like, old R.E.M. of <laughs> anything on the album. That's fair. Um, it does. It, lyrically, it's not on par with, with like, what's the frequency, Kenneth? Yeah. Um, so I took the, I I found out that the way I'd always interpreted this song is very different from how apparently everyone else interprets it, Just to me it sounded like a, not an abusive relationship necessarily, but like a toxic relationship of, you know, like, like fuck and fight, you know, bang and blame. And everyone else takes it as bang, being like beating somebody, not fucking, which I don't really, I mean, even after hearing that and reading the lyrics, I, I, it doesn't. Stand out to me that that's like the obvious way to interpret it. Yeah, I don't but think I
1: don't think it is. I think it's some people were reaching for anything on this album to have more depth.
0: I, I will say that some someone or a real genius on Genius lyrics interpreted it as being about gun control. Uh, <laughs> sure. That got a lot of downvotes. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely in the red on downvotes um, yeah, so I took your name is like forgettable. So the absolute worst dog shit song in RM's career is Let Me In. I fucking hate this song so much. I it's, I don't know if you reacted to it as strongly as I did. And again, it's like the noise song on the album. Yeah,
1: which I thought maybe Natalie would like this. No. No,
0: no it's awful. It's so this is a song about Kurt Cobain's suicide. Because Michael Stipe and Kurt Cobain were talking about doing a collaboration right before he killed himself. Mm. And so, but like, I feel like if you're going to write a song about somebody's suicide, it has to be handled extremely sensitively. Because you're either going to make a bad song that's just like, oh, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Which is, is like the most cliched, artless way to handle that subject. Or you're going to do what Michael Stipe does and write a song about himself and his feelings about someone else's suicide.
1: Yeah. Which
0: is, again, like, I just feel like this song completely misunderstands why people kill themselves. (laughs) And, like, I mean, it's called Let Me In. Like, Like, Michael Stipe, I'm sorry, dude, but you were not going to have stopped Kurt Cobain's suicide. Like, the problem wasn't that he didn't have. A friend to listen to him yeah it's like that's that's not the like it's just such a
1: it's a process of you have to pull yourself out of something it's not a process you let someone into
0: well and it just completely i mean there's nothing about like you know mental illness or the actual causes of why people commit suicide it's just this very like i tried to be there for you why wouldn't you let me and it's like i mean it's done more poetically than that like it actually the lyrics in the song are actually pretty good um and i really like the image about like crawling out of my skin it, when i say they're good i mean not that the sentiment is good i think the sentiment is kind of shitty but that like he wrote his from his a his technical <laughs> standpoint or a poetic standpoint it's it's poetic
1: he encapsulated his shitty sentiment eloquently
0: yes it, i really like the clumsy and crawling out of my skin line um like it captures the sadness he's feeling i just don't think it's like it would have been better kept to himself <laughs> and the song is utter the musically the song is utter dog shit it is and not great i wish that it had never been recorded that's how i um, feel about tongue <laughs> it i feel that way about tone too but i hate let me in even more um so circus envy is is fine <laughs> yeah
1: but i mean like after like the whole back half of this album is just like ugh, I don't
0: and you is also terrible it's nowhere near as bad as tongue or let me in but it, it sucks a lot also. it's
1: very much a, a definitive b-side of a record <laughs> like
0: and Just yeah it, it i can't believe it's less than i can't believe you is less than five minutes long because that song feels like it lasts about eight hours
1: I mean, it's a mere six seconds shorter than five minutes.
0: Yeah, but Bang and Blame is five minutes and 30 seconds and it feels like three and a half minutes.
1: Well, I have more to say about long songs <laughs> later in this process. Yeah,
0: so what's our overall feelings on Monster? Like, what you go first. What are your feelings? On? Uh, if
1: they released, like, a, a, a short album of just that first side, that'd be a nice summer album. It'd be a... Forgettable, but crisp, and just <laughs> Yeah, I could I could I could buy this for half price. I'll be fine with this. That second half of the album you, makes you just wanna take it back to the store and set it on fire. You don't want your money back, you just need people to know how much you hate it. And it doesn't need to exist, but I think it exists in this state because they didn't want to exist. Like REM was broke up in the middle of the of this album being recorded, yeah. Because everyone was sick, everyone was fighting. Like when they got to LA, where they finally finished and tried to master this album, they were trying to put together all of these desperate recordings they had because there's the all of the stuff with the tremolo was all recorded live. So they were doing that stuff like it was it was recorded in a studio like they were playing a live set. Right. And that is very clear when everything else is done in a more disparate, no one, like, by the time they got to, like, tongue, which I think the reason tongue exists at all, is that certain members of the band couldn't be in the studio together. They would lay down a track and then someone would come in and do their part of the song because they just couldn't fucking deal with each other. And it shows. Like, this album is, like, full of promise for the first six songs of, like, we're doing something inventive and different. And then by side two, it's like, Ooh, this something different is killing me. Here's a song that sounds like something else. Oh, did you hear about this dude that was very popular who killed himself? I wrote a song about it. Please listen to my pain. Please listen to my pain <laughs> while you are all having your pains. Because it's like, someone had an... Who had the aneurysm during this
0: album? That was uh, Bill Berry. Yeah, so uh, That happened on stage, actually, too.
1: Yeah, so... That's the level of like, please listen to my pain, Michael Michael Stipe had a tooth an abscess tooth during this process. Uh, various members just got like laid out sick.
0: Mike Mills like his internal organs started fusing together or something. This like, is a cursed record. some insane like you know like five people in history have had this disease kind of disease. Was like just it it's was, a cursed record.
1: It really is, and it shows. Because, like, like, like if they had released those first six songs, you wouldn't like that album. But you wouldn't feel aggrieved by it.
0: I, I think being and blame is, it also needs to be in there. Like, it's it's better than I Don't Sleep, I Dream. It's better than Star 69. It's better than Strange... I mean, it's my favorite album, so it's better than everything. I just I'm think like, it's totally different. Or my like, favorite song. You know? I just think
1: it's tonally different. And so if you put the first six on, like, uh, you know, three songs that each side of the LP, like, that's... Ain't nothing, that's...
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see that being a, a, an EP. Um, wh- how do you feel about, like, in terms of... Did this succeed at what it was trying to do? Was it Was it a talk rock album?
1: No, it was a Weird Uncle album. <laughs> it's like, it's a, a Weird Uncle who you know has been single for a while, and he's trying desperately to be very sexy in the dating pool and it's just like you could just not do
0: this. Yeah, I don't feel like Michael Stipe's charm was ever his like raw animal sex appeal. Like it, it, he was always the like shy shy kid writing poetry in the corner. Is like the whatever he however he is in real life, that's always the image his music and his performances and his lyrics put across to me.
1: Yeah, and I think he had a very a, a very clear vibe of wanting to do a rock star thing. It's just he's not that person. There, there, are, there are there are performers who are very talented and good at what they do, who are never going to be eyeliner and leather pants rock stars, and it's okay. Yeah, they also shouldn't write lyrics like they're trying to be Prince, because you are always going to fuck it up.
0: I just don't. I mean, Prince makes sex sound fun. Yes, like, because he <laughs>
1: enjoys it. He enjoys the act yeah, of it, and, and he's open like, about
0: it. I mean, nothing on this album sounds fun. Like, even the quote-unquote upbeat songs are either plodding or have depressing lyrics, or, like, because, breakup lyrics, or, you know, like, Star 69 is, is kind of, like, I don't feel like there's any affection for the person that song is addressed to, and it's the most upbeat song on the album.
1: No, and I think that directly reflects the mental state of the entire band. I think, like... Their entire volatile existence reflects in this album, trying to do something different, falling flat. Like it just—it's not the worst REM album. Like definitively, it's not. See, their latter albums are pretty bad, but it's not a good one.
0: I haven't listened to the. the, I mean, I, I this is where I got off the REM train. Like this album, I thought was so bad when it came out that I was like, well there's a band i don't need to pay attention to anymore and and i proceeded to not pay attention and i did eventually listen to the albums they did after this but like i couldn't tell you anything about any of them right now
1: it's fair i but i think that it this perfectly encapsulates what it's like to want to rejuvenate your image while deeply deeply regretting a lot of decisions <laughs> and they broke up during the course of it because of they never addressed the core issue they were having and they thought maybe touring would help. And it's like having a having a kid to save a marriage. It's like it's not. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what you, the product you get is resentful. And this album is resentful.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess like my final statement on it is like it's it's as an album from the dick. It, it's not a dick that I want to interact with in any way. No, <laughs> like, not it's, at it's, all. yeah. Um, so, that being said, uh, because this is the first album we've ever talked about, it's the best album of the 90s.
1: It is indeed the best album of the 90s.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, as as of right now, Monster by R.E.M. is the number one alternative album of the 90s, and the worst album of the 90s as well.
1: Congratulations, Monster.
0: I, I promise you I will not think of you again after this recording. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, I think we're going to have to talk about it occasionally. <laughs> oh man, so the worst album, the truly worst album though.
0: Well, all right, let's uh we'll take a break and then we will be back with our second album on the show. All right, so we're back, and um, if you remember before the break, break, we just ranked R.E.M.'s Monster as the best album of the 90s. And now we're going to move on to our second album of this episode, which is the 1990 album by the band Wire called Manscaped. And boy, has that title not aged well.
1: It's not supposed to be about manscaping, but it might as well be, because this album is all over the place.
0: So, okay, here's... Yeah, here's, we're gonna, so, when I put the first episode together, I was like, Heyrian's gonna fucking hate Monster, and that'll be the easy one. And Manscaped is enough, like, Depeche Mode, or, like, uh, it's got a little bit of a gothy edge to it, like, this'll be the easy one. It's
1: like a bad Seven Heaven, seven, heaven 17 song, like, the so, whole album is that.
0: Alright, so Wire is, I'm I'm a big fan of Wire so they're they're one of those bands though that most people who aren't in a band have never heard of them so i heard about them because in the mid 90s when britpop started to become a thing in america we heard a lot about if you read about these bands they're constantly being compared to wire um, not Oasis, obviously, they were the Beatles, but every other Britpop band, everyone's like, Wire, Wire, Wire. Even a lot of shoegaze bands, Lush, constantly got compared to Wire. And so I was like, I have to hear this band. And so I went out searching all the record stores <laughs> in our town, <laughs> which back then was a lot more than the zero that we have now. Um, and I found a copy of Manscape, <laughs> and it was the only Wire album I could find, and so I bought it and put it on, and I was like, "This could not possibly sound less like all the bands that it gets compared to."
1: I can see it in lyrical, the l- lyrical construction and vocals. There's something similar to a lot of Britpop bands, and like, but the problem, the, the true problem with this album is that it's a midiscape album. And I- uh,
0: yeah, so it's it's very much um, wire sort of going all the way into electronics and being like. So they were moving in this direction. I mean, they started using synths from, like, Chairs Missing, which came out in 1978. But it, by this time, the synths had just overrun their sound. Um, and they still have guitar on the record, but it's definitely not a guitar record. Even, like, A Bell is a Cup is a guitar record. Um, and not only that, it's a very 1990 electronic record. Yes. Um So, like, you know how what what people think of as being, like, the trends of the 90s didn't really start until, like, 92? Like, this is still an 80s-ass album.
1: Uh, Yeah, like, there's so much there, and I I described this, and we had this conversation before we did the show where I said, this just sounds like you trying to make a Talking Heads album and just doing too much. And you were like, well, they, well, Wire was doing this before the Talking Heads. I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Once the Talking Heads happened, drop it. Just don't do it anymore. They they have perfected the form. Don't make a scape album. Oh, you're going to do it? Okay.
0: Right. So, and the person that you're like comparing to David Byrne is not the main vocalist.
1: Um, I'm saying the entire like album sounds that way. Like, the lyrics are so... Trying to be so meaningful and getting lost in its in their imagery.
0: Yeah, and I don't. I think that's a misreading um, of the band. Like they definitely always intended to have a sense of humor, and that was one of the things that like they have said is that they felt like most punk bands were too humorless. Yeah, and they wanted to have this sort of winking. Aspect to their music, and they they definitely do. Like Colin Newman, who's the main vocalist, is very like sneering and Jarvis Cockery in a way. Like he's not as rock star crooner like Jarvis Cocker is, but he's very like he's definitely looking down his nose at you a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, it's just this album. The humor isn't there. They think it is, but it just makes everything sound a little lame.
0: Uh, what this reminds me of and this is kind of like a weird place for it to come back, but they have mentioned Pink Floyd as being an influence on them. And this this kind of reminds me of, like, The Division Bell, <laughs> like, Ugh. later Pink Floyd. Yeah, in I can... In a sense of, like, it not not necessarily in that it, like, sounds a lot like it, even though, like, Morning Bell is a very Pink Floyd song. Yes. Um...
1: Because it's also about uh, British school system, right? Exactly. So it's like
0: <laughs> it's wires the wall.
1: Uh, that so that's why I don't like this album. That that's it. You 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 hit it the nail on the head. I don't like Pink Floyd. I don't like this album. Just that there you 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 solved
0: the middle. <laughs> um. Yeah, and so if you don't like this version, that we're we're going to talk about the version that we got here in america the real version of the album yeah The, the uk original track list for this is a very different and much worse record it cuts off three of the songs and has the rest of the tracks in a very different order like goodbye ploy is the second song Goodbye, boy, I, should be the last song on this album.
1: The last song on this album shouldn't exist.
0: Well, okay, yeah, we can get to that, and I agree. Yeah. with you. A bit. <laughs> um. <laughs> but yeah.
1: So, but, but, more, but more, more to the point is that this, as this, as we listen to it, this, this album begins with the song "Life in the Manscape," and that's probably the most memorable song on the album because it has a more crossover appeal in the way it's constructed. It's like it's a little more of a song. It has more of a catchy aspect to it. It is not. Whatever the rest of this album is, it but it, it's one of the things you could put that out as a single. People are like, okay, but like it's fine. It's not on the UK version. It, it it's the introduct. It's literally the title of the album is in <laughs> the name of the song. Yeah,
0: it's the title track of the album. It's it's kind of it's it's not like u two anthemic, but it, it's it's a little bit of an anthem. It's it's a nineteen ninety abstract synth pop anthem.
1: <laughs> but yeah, this whole album is very politically focused. It's about like the the state of politics, the state of uh, education and society. It feels
0: like it's very... So, it, I can't believe this is the second time I'm going to mention Momus in this episode. Get used to hearing about Momus on this show. By the way. <laughs> um, you'll hear that name a lot. It, so, it feels... This, to me, feels like... What Nomus was doing on Don't Stop the Night. It feels like they're goodbye to the 80s. Yeah, I, I,
1: can, I can hear that. And there's just this, this this album without life in the manscape, though, is just not going to work. It does not work because it has no focal point. It's just some mud.
0: I just, and I strongly disagree. I feel like this album is very much about the breakdown of the Soviet Union and the breakdown of Thatcherism. And that's. Given that Wire's lyrics are usually very abstract, and I get that that's, like, you maybe don't see where I'm coming from with that. No, I, I see it. Like, Stampede is explicitly about East Germany. Yes. So... I, I did, it's I definitely didn't, there. And it's another reason why it's so weird that Stampede is not on the UK, the original track list.
1: Yes, because like Life in the Manscape is talking about the breakdown of social structure in society. Stampede is talking about
0: the, the, the breakdown of communism. Yeah, the breakdown of communism.
1: And then you've got Morning Bell talking about the shit state of the British school system. And yeah. it's like... a
0: Small Black Reptile is explicitly about British politics. Like, yeah. I mean, as explicit as Wire is.
1: Yeah, and like all of these together, that, I mean, that works. Like and
0: it, Goodbye Ploy is very, like so, like, so long, fuck off, yuppies.
1: Yeah. And so when you talk about it in that that degree, the album is a very different beast. And I couldn't... Maybe maybe those, those songs were removed because they knew what was going to happen if they got played in the UK. Like, maybe that's, they, they just knew that that was going to get them censored in a way that they were not going to be able to recover from. Which is a very real concern people have with music being released in the UK. Because you can get, you get bopped by the BBC, what's going to happen?
0: Well, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that that could very well be it. Wire has never been a, they're a band that's popular with, it's art for artists. You know, yeah. it's music for a certain kind of musician, and they're like the band that every band cites as an influence, and nobody who's not in a band has ever heard of them.
1: I mean, I can get that they're, they're they're influential. It's it's not for me. I don't think. I I just this album was not the one that I needed to deep dive on them first.
0: No, this is definitely not the. I mean, this is probably the worst Wire album. I like it more than. Pink Flag, their first album, which was just kind of a straight punk record. Like, I realized that, and this is one of the, another of those conflicts between objectivity and subjectivity is like, I realized that Pink, Pink Flagged is a way better album. I'd like Manscaped a lot more just because they've developed by this point into that kind of art rock synth band that, that I got into them for.
1: And you'd think I'd like that. And I know why you thought I would like this album. I just, you just forgot my, Unilateral dislike of anything that even begins to imitate Pink Floyd, and I just so what happened. That being said, uh, the song "Torch It," which is the first seven-minute song on this seven and seven minutes and thirty-one seconds on this album, uh, I like it. That's probably the song I like the most. Yeah, but the thing is, is that it has a very plodding, just like driven beat.
0: Yeah, well, it's not plotting, but it's it's industrial. It, you know, but it has, it's, it has it
1: has a driven beat. But the I think the reason I like it is that it has the same kind of mournness that One Go Boingo had at this time because this is around the time One Go Boingo was on its downward downward trend. So it was just Danny Elfman in a studio being like, "What if I had choirs of children?" And jungle beats and lyrics about the fall of society and insanity and like religion poisoning everything to this, like, but it wasn't like an industrial beat, but it's just like this swell of music. And he's <clears throat> also very disdainful for the subject. And it's exactly the same. Like, Insanity by Oingo Boingo is almost exactly the same song as Torch It.
0: And. <laughs> When, so a really funny thing, and this is probably intentional, is there's an album I would like to do at some point for the show, a, a Wire tribute album called Horror that came out in the 90s. And um, Petty Tyrants, who I think is a Nivik Ogre side project, mm-hmm. um, they do a cover of Our Swimmer, which in the the Wire version of that song is very plotting. And they make it sound just like Torch It, but it's like the Lyric Star Swimmer. And it's also like, you know, the drums are like peaked out and like super uh, troubly because it's overtly industrial music.
1: Yeah. And, and when I compare this to Insanity, I think Insanity is a better song overall. But like, I... And if we're going to pick a fight between Ongo Buengo and Wire, Ongo is going to win for me every time. Yeah,
0: and Wire's going to win for me every time. Well, <laughs> this see is just how we're different.
1: But I think it's, but it's good to compare them because Danny Elfman teaches music theory now. Like, he teaches collegiate music theory, and he knows that stuff. He knows how to compose a song. He's a very technical musician. He knows... What he's doing and Wire are very technical musicians. They started as punks and turned into being very knowledgeable about what they were working with. Yeah,
0: but their thing has always been subverting song structure, and you know, like they, it it doesn't seem like that big a deal, especially in like the age of trap when a lot of songs are like a minute and a half long. But like Pink Flag had a lot of songs that were like under thirty seconds.
1: Yeah and and I get that and I and, and I th-
0: get those so the, you know there's that and then torch it is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of like we're going to you know just take this beat and and let it run for 7 minutes and and there's not really a hook in that song <laughs> there's no. not a, there's not really a chorus in the several of the songs on this album like goodbye ploy is like that um I think um Maybe where's the deputation is there's another song that's similar that's just sort of like children of it's groceries all just, it's all like an a with no b <laughs> like, yeah,
1: and children of groceries is very much like that too, but it just goes to a far far more distorted end um yeah. but yeah, like i like my takeaway th- take away from this album is I'm going to remember Torch it, and I'm going to probably put torch it on a playlist because it hit
0: yeah, torch but, it slaps. Yeah, it did. It t- Especially, I mean, when we decided we were going to do this episode, or we decided we are going to do this podcast, um, it was, like, about a week ago, which coincided with Bernie Sanders dropping out of the the primary and endorsing Joe Biden, and to, like, later that day be listening to this album and Torch It comes on, and, you know, I'm going to Torch It with you on the top. I'm just like, yeah, this is what I need right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: the, the slaps. Uh, but... And I and I get I think my my dislike of this album comes from me not having the relationship with Wire and I will own that. And that that's and I will however fight for its placement on our list presently because I think that it is fundamentally not going to if we're going to talk about the memorable and albums that are of prominence also being considered in their time. I don't think this one can be considered in that because of You Hung Your Lights in the Trees, A Craftsman's Touch.
0: Which I think a lot of people consider, like... The, the best only, song. The only song worth saving
1: from this album. And it could just die in a fire. Yeah, I, I, will really torch it with, I will torch it with this on that song on the top. Because my, my
0: least favorite songs on the album are Small Black Reptile and You Hung Your Lights in the Trees. That song... And small black reptile is it, it's fine, like it's a decent song. It's three but minutes it's, and fourteen it's three seconds minutes long. Th-
1: th- you know what? That song is a one and done. You, you <laughs> that song you get through that song, you're like, cool. That song is over. I don't listen. You hung your lights in the trees. That motherfucker is ten minutes long. I like Bella Lugosi's Dead. I love that song. That song you got the fuck out with it. You you get in that that mode. It's like yes, I feel this beat. I feel depression seeping into my soul. And that's a good feeling. This song does not earn its place.
0: <laughs> no, there's no reason for it to be ten minutes long. And even if it weren't, it would still kind of suck.
1: And I guess people like it because it does warble through its instrumentation. It's sort of like, we're throwing everything we got in the batch out on on so- the counter.
0: Here's my thing, is that song sounds to me the most like Roxy Music on this entire album. It does
1: not. It does not. It does not, not, not. Maybe I'll listen to it again with that comment in mind. I, I have
0: a very similar reaction to that song as I do to Roxy Music. Okay,
1: look, now if you want to say that this maybe is like, in every home a heartache, well, guess what? Every In every home a heartache, that song is about blowing an inflatable doll up. And... <laughs> Like, that doll blowing his mind. Like, that song is brilliant. <laughs> this song is miserable.
0: It, well, no, I agree that this song is miserable. The
1: Bogus Man. It is the one of the longest rock music songs in existence. But that beat is so fucking good, and the Bogus Man's gonna come along and shoot you with his gun. Like, that's that's it. Those are the lyrics. I could go all, all day. These work because the rhythm drives. And I mentioned those songs together because on, uh... What is that album? Oh, no. For Your Pleasure. So, on For Your Pleasure, that is the song uh, in Every Home A Heartache inside 1, and uh, the Bogus Man starts Side 2. And it's just this, like, mind fuck of two very long, weird songs in the middle of this album. And I'll take that over this. I hated both those songs, by the way, for a long time. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever gonna grow up and you Learn to love. You hung your lights. And you hung your lights in the trees. No,
0: it's. I think it's a bad song. It's a bad song. It's a, a, a great song. Is other moments, which is a torch. It is probably my favorite song. Other moments comes really close. Yeah, other moments is the most wire song on the album. Now that I will it's, agree. It right. sounds the most similar to what they had been doing leading up to it. The kind of like, it's kind of minimalist, but also then has these like moments of like really sort of strangled guitar tones that that I really, like, we're talking about R.E.M. doing harsh badly, like, the harshness of those guitar tones is exactly what I'm into.
1: Yeah, and no, and I get it, and I think it also comes down to the competency with the format. Wire has a pedigree of doing that stuff. R.E.M. didn't, and that stuff, it's noticeable when musicians do something different, and it does, and it doesn't work. Because nothing else after Monster sounds like Monster from R.E.M.
0: And Wire, you know, they, they took... Wire's history is really weird because they kind of, like, broke up several times. It's it like they broke up but then kept putting music on. It's it's really weird and confusing. But they around 2011, they got back together with more or less, like, the classic lineup and started putting out albums again, and they're great. And they don't sound... Like man, I mean, melodically they sound like Manscape because that's what Wire sounds like. But they stripped back the the synthesizers, and it's not drum machines and so much sequencing. This
1: it's- album is is uh, a victim of the times because and this happened to not just Wire. This happened to a lot of musicians at this time. Like you, you come out of the eighties being like, okay, well, what's the sound now? Because I don't like the way rock's going, so I can't do that. So do I go ahead and use the drum machine? Do I use the synthesizer? Do I go with MIDI and computers being more accessible and touchable?
0: I think where this album goes wrong with that is that it is like nineteen ninety state-of-the-art gear. Like, there's very little that sounds like an analog synth. Yeah, it's- Like, uh, Morning Bell has that sort of, like, burpy, like, Perry and Kingsley synth line going in, in the background. But like a lot of it sounds, sounds like a Howard Jones album. It's like, <laughs> like the the
1: early '90s was a miserable time for electric mu- electronic music. If you weren't using analog sense, if you weren't using these older pieces, if you were only using what was new,
0: it's it, it instantly dates it to oh that came out in between 1989 and 1991. Yeah,
1: because like there was just this like just fart machine in all of music and.
0: And like, or, or like a lot of chromatic percussion, like Patterns of Behavior is mm-hmm. such a Howard Jones song because it has the like, ding, 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 like synth part. <sighs> and um, so, so like where I think that succeeds though, is that there are these moments where you can hear the band, like doing what they did with punk rock where they, you know, were deconstructionist about it. And I feel like they're doing that with like early techno music on some of these songs and it'll just be like a chord here or there, like in "Goodbye Ploy." There's like this very early '90s techno, just like synth stab that that is like the closest thing the song has to a chorus that just like happens between verses, basically. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. They were listening to techno music and said, "What can we take from this?" And it was like a chord, but it, it's it's why I like Wire. It's this very smart way of consuming and then and then interpret and incorporating these other sounds into yours it's just that the sounds they did it with are ones that got instantly dated
1: yeah and like that's that's all that's the the greatest sin of this album and it's all of that and i think wire are wonderful musicians i can tell that even though i don't like the album and that's that's Having reviewed music for a while, having done stuff like that, I can always separate the musicians who know their shit, and I can appreciate that, but I don't appreciate the sound that they've made with those skills. And that's really it with this album. I was like, I don't appreciate the sound that they've made. And this album is so 1990, it makes you bleed.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I think we're ready to move on to... To officially ranking this, but I'm I'm not done fighting for it because here's my argument. Here's my my last stand on why Manscape is a better album than Monster. We talked about Monster, you know, the slogan being an album from the dick. We both agree that it completely fails at that, and most of the songs are bad. Why is that? So I feel like Manscape, even though you're not a fan of what it's going for. It succeeds way more often than Monster, and it succeeds more often than it fails. And the only reason it's not held up as this great record is that it's because of what it was... the sort of musical trends it was dealing with or ones that didn't continue on. But I also think that with Monster, what it was going for was extremely well-trod ground. And so I, just in the in the sense of being daring, even though this is very dated and it's very easy to listen to it and say, oh, hey, there's some 1990-ass synthesizers, like, I, I still feel like it's way more ambitious and successful than Monster.
1: I think it's still not going to top Monster for me because I can't tell these songs apart. There were only two songs I could actually tell apart. And it's the first one and the sixth one. And then by way of hating it so much, the thirteenth <laughs> song on I, I, the album. I, I, but the thing is is that they there's no distinction and this is this is my I think my stance on music, particular and it's an it's it's antithetical to what Wire was doing and I understand that. I like songs that are that stand out. I like songs that are a thing. They are a piece, they are a, they have been composed to stand on their own. And Monster has songs that do that. You you don't need Monster to deliver that song every time. You can listen to what's the frequency Kenneth and that album has delivered that song to you and is made better because of it. Manscape functions better as an album, but only if you are willing to indulge in all of it. And I can see where that would be like, well, you're making my case for me because then therefore it functions better as an album, but I don't think that it does. I think that there's a lot of slog you have to go through to get to these m- brief moments of something that stands apart something that doesn't sound like everything Wire has ever done and that's okay if you want that but i don't think in the in a in a decade marked by such definitive songs an album that is not definitive in any way is better than a, an album that does have a definitive song it do, it does have a a place in a a sense of what that album is. That you can hear a bar of that song go. That's from that album. If you heard "Life in the Manscape" and didn't hear any of the lyrics, you would not know what wire song it was.
0: Oh, I, I would.
1: You were not, everyone else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell. This, like, this is
1: a list for the people. No. So I, I
0: think that, I think. I mean, you're saying that you can't tell these songs apart, which I, I think that you maybe didn't listen to the album enough times I can definitely I can tell them apart now I'm not going to sit here and say that everyone is memorable like I can't hum patterns of behavior I can't hum uh what do you see I can I could hum life in the manscape or other moments or torch it or morning bell especially so I feel like it's It has these songs that don't stand out, but I guess most of Monster, to me, stands out by how much it sucks. (laughs) And these are, like, good enough... They're, like, just good enough to be background noise, but not... They're not bad enough to be, like, oh god, I have to turn that off, except for the last song. But, I mean, I wouldn't... Um,
1: I mean, and I think because it's background noise, that's the issue. It's, like, Monster may be bad, but it asserts itself like a motherfucker. Like, you... Understand where mo- what monster is when you hear it, because like that is that is that REM album. Holy shit!
0: Yeah, but also it's it's that it's like the guy at the bar who is like trying to sit down at your table and talk to you. Uh, you <laughs> and, mean, like Manscape is a is an afternoon with your your friend who's kind of boring but kind of interesting.
1: At least I would get a, an interesting story out <laughs> of the guy who tried to sit down at my table at the bar. I don't have an interesting story, but my friend who is vaguely interesting but also quite. Quite boring because every every conversation is ju- is prefaced with "he's a bit boring," but listen, and and I don't think that fits because if like if we're gonna talk, uh, uh, Monster did well for REM. That's the the nightmare scenario we're in. Is like if you're if on a, the the scale of successful albums, like of course, Wire is not nearly as prominent or known. But even a shit show of an album like Monster did well. And uh, it's, right,
0: but I mean, as a Wire fan, I don't give a shit about how many drum pieces. Oh my <laughs> god.
1: But then why are we talking about Nevermind? Because I personally don't like any of Nirvana. Like, I mean,
0: I, I I think Nevermind's a great album. It uh, just I um, just, look,
1: it, there is no dishonor in being the second greatest album of the 90s. Right,
0: which is why Monster should be the second should be totally greatest be manscape. album of the 90s. I thought this was gonna be so easy for our first episode.
1: You you fucked up. You didn't you didn't consult me on either album and No,
0: because I didn't think I had to. You um,
1: should How long have we been in the same place?
0: No, I mean so like really though my my idea and I don't know why I thought this was a good idea for a first episode, but it was like great bands past their prime. <laughs> it was like my idea for the for this. Um,
1: I just look, I don't think Manscape is the greatest album of the nineties presently.
0: And I, I do, I, I'm I, trying to think of a way to, I know you're not going to budge and we only have so many hours in the day. I'm trying to think of a way to justify putting monster over an album that I like way, way better.
1: I think Monster has aged better. I I think, and that's look. That's right.
0: And I admit that it has, but only because they're both. It deep. was doing something that had already been done to death. So, of course, it still sounds. I mean, like that's another. Like you can say it's tried and true or whatever. But another way to say that is like it's been done.
1: Yeah, but I don't think you should just reward the album, the artists that are doing the exact same thing they've done for three albums because it's
0: No, I don't think they I don't think that that's what Manstreet is.
1: Well, at least their their album before this, it definitely sounds a lot like it. And that that doesn't count because it wasn't recorded in the 90s. So Was it not? It was
0: 88. Oh yeah, no, this is 90. Yeah. 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 So
1: this is this is the gateway to the 90s. It is there, everything builds on top of Manscape, therefore it should not be the top of the list.
0: Um, well, nothing builds on Manscaped. Uh, so, I, okay, I'll, I'll let that be my argument. Is like, this, this album inspired nobody, probably.
1: And I bet you, more than anything, Monster did. Monster if, inspired if, people. If we were
0: arguing about A Bell Is A Cup or Chairs Missing... I would sit here and fight you all night, that those are better albums than Monster.
1: And the thing is, I'm looking at the whole of the decade that we're talking about, and Wire has a, a large influence over a lot of musicians. I just don't think Manscape is that album that did that. And Monster almost certainly got somebody use a tremolo. So,
0: well... Yeah, you, you you were reeling me in and then you're now you're reeling me back out by up the again. Um okay, so I'm willing to say that Manscaped is the second best album of the nineties. Is not the worst album of the nineties. That's monster. Uh
1: definitively it is the worst <laughs> album of the it is the worst album of the nineties because it is the second album of the nineties.
0: Um Yeah so
1: it'll be much easier next week you'll feel way better about this oh no slip.
0: no I, I'm not gonna I don't want to announce our upcoming episodes but next week is gonna be super fun and a lot easier too.
1: it just uh maybe but now you know that if it sounds if, if you're gonna use Pink Floyd invoke Pink Floyd to describe something <laughs> I'm probably gonna fight <laughs> it's just a trigger it's a trigger for me too many garages full of people's dads.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm not really a Pink Floyd fan either. I like the wall, and that's about that's about the extent of like the Pink Floyd that I ever want to listen to.
1: I just can't do the majority of prog rock. Which is why I will also fight when this guy said Roxy Music was a prog rock band, and I'm like, I will fight you on the moon. <laughs> a glittery, dangerous moon.
0: Well, so... So once again we're we're wrapping up our first episode of in our 1990s with Monster as the best album of the 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 best alternative album of the 90s and Manscape as the second best alternative album of the 90s and also therefore the worst album of the 90s. Um, I will say that if you are a Wire fan and you have listened to Manscape and said this isn't Wire and put it back, which is sort of what I did once I mean it was the first Wire album I heard but then once I heard more I was like oh Manscape is, is a total like anomaly like it's really not and you should go back and give it another chance because it, it rewards multiple listenings if you have the patience for that just
1: don't listen to the last track just <laughs> yeah you can there. turn it off
0: at Children of Groceries which has the greatest vocoder part in the history of music and with that I think that uh, it's time to end this episode I hope you guys all enjoyed it And we will be back next week with more in our 1990s.